Lord Jesus, we praise you and we adore you for your glorious resurrection, that you are alive and you walk among us, Lord. You walk among us in spite of um, being on exile. You walk among us in spite of being behind locked doors. You walk among us. So again, Lord Jesus, move in our midst. Speak to every heart who is here this morning, Lord Jesus. We want to become more like you. We want to see your glory today. In your name, we pray all these things. Amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome here. Welcome to Restoration. If you and I haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm Pastor Rick. Um, After the service, uh, I'll be mingling around up here. Would love to chat with you. Uh, also, if you're a newcomer here and we haven't had a chance to talk, or, or even if you're, you've been here for a while and you have prayer requests, we have these uh, comment cards in the pew backs in front of you, these connection cards, not comment cards. <laughs> that liturgy, it's terrible. <laughs> like, what comment are we going to be leaving? <laughs> Yeah, okay, anyway, uh, a connection card. So if you have prayer requests or if you'd like to attend the next uh, newcomer event or something like that, please fill that out uh, and stick it in the offering baskets when those uh, go through later uh, in the service. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm still recovering from all, as you can probably tell, uh, still recovering from all of the glorious festivities of Holy Week. Uh, what an exciting week. Uh, we, we pulled out a, a screen in the lobby, and we're playing some photos out there. So after the service, uh, if you want to see some of those, please uh, go and be blessed by that. So all throughout the season of Lent, the season before uh, Easter, we, we, you heard me talk several times about embarking on a spiritual pilgrimage, a spiritual journey, journeying alongside Jesus from the wilderness to Jerusalem. And then in Holy Week, we slowed down the church calendar, and we, we slowed down as we contemplated the sacrifice of Christ uh, and his death upon the cross. And then on Easter, we marveled and we stood shocked uh, at the glorious celebration of his resurrection. And then as Saturday rolled into Sunday, as the stone from the, from the tomb was rolled away, we cried out on Easter morning, Alleluia, Alleluia, Christ is risen. For, for those of you who might be new uh, to the church calendar, we're just getting started. Uh, Easter is actually a 50-day season of feasting. So just as you gave up things for the season of Lent, find ways to to celebrate throughout Easter. Uh, One of the things that we've done in our household uh, is every every Sunday we bust out a new um, bottle of bubbling soda, uh, like Italian soda sort of stuff. So it's just like find fun ways with your households, with your roommates, with your families to mark and celebrate uh, the season of, of Easter. It leads us from Easter morning for 50 days up until Pentecost, uh, in which we'll celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from heaven. So throughout this Eastertide, as we call it, we're going to be preaching through the lectionary passages that we have from the book of Revelation. Because here's the deal. If we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that means he's still alive. Death no longer has a claim on him. And if he was still alive to those disciples, then he's still alive today, here and now. The same Jesus who greeted Mary at the tomb is still alive today. The same Jesus who invites Thomas to place his hands in his wounds is still alive today. The same Jesus who appeared to the apostle John on the island of Patmos is still alive today. 
And so as we open up the book of Revelation, we're going to be listening to the voice of Jesus and seeing how he speaks into our midst here at Restoration Anglican in 2022. The book of Revelation itself is almost like a thin place uh, between heaven and earth. It's, it's the only book that promises a blessing uh, as you read it. And the risen Christ offers hope to the Apostle Paul. Not just far off, distant hope, although yes, we will absolutely uh, celebrate that, but hope for the here and now. Hope for today. So let's jump into this passage. So in Revelation 1, uh, uh, verse 9, we hear that John is on the island of Patmos. Now we hear island and we think, ooh, that sounds lovely. You know, I wonder what Patmos is like this time of year. You know, <laughs> you know, and like it, this isn't a lovely experience. Okay, so John is not like sipping pina coladas, you know, on Patmos right now. This is a desolate island in the Mediterranean, uh, the, and there aren't like frequent ships that are coming there, bringing the latest uh, trends and foods to the island. There's no thriving economy here. There aren't cultural centers or amphitheaters or arenas. Like no entertainment or anything there. This is a lonely, lonely existence. And John is here. He's on exile because the authorities are fed up with him. They've had enough. They're tired of his preaching. They're tired of these communities that he was raising up, these, these strange communities who believed in, in this, this risen figure, this figure who's come back from the dead. And the authorities were tired of, of this, these communities who did not acknowledge Caesar as Lord. They had a strange uh, sexual ethic. They didn't participate in all of the holidays that, that the, uh, everyone else celebrated. Um, they were strange people, these Christians. And uh, the, the authorities had had enough with them. And so, uh, as we read in the book of Acts, uh, we hear some of the complaints against the Christians. They would say things like, they're turning the whole world upside down. And so, on account of this, John is sent to Patmos. And the Bible says, that he, or he says himself in the Bible, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What a beautiful phrase. Now, no doubt, uh, John is meditating on the law and the prophets, which he certainly would have had memorized. Uh, he's praying the Psalms. He's, he's um, recalling uh, his memories of the life and teachings of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's in the Spirit. He's meditating on the Word and, and praying. But it's also the Lord's Day. It's the first day of the week. It's, it's the day of the resurrection when Christian communities across the ancient world were coming together for common worship. It's the first day of the week, but it's also the eighth day of the week. The eighth day, the, the day of new life, the day of new creation, of new beginnings. It's the day of resurrection. And so it's here in the spirit on the Lord's day that John says that he hears a loud voice like a trumpet and telling him in verse, in verse 11 to write this letter to the seven churches. Now seven in the Bible is always the number of perfection. And it's meant, these churches here are meant to represent all the churches across the Mediterranean world, uh, but also all churches throughout all time. So in other words, this is a letter that's written not just to those seven churches that are named, but this is a letter that's written to you and to me. This is a letter that's written to restoration here and now. And so here we are on Patmos, in the Spirit, on the Lord's day. And this is when Jesus appears. He stands there. He speaks to John. 
Even though John is in exile, he hears the voice of Jesus Christ. Being in exile has given John an opportunity to pray and to reflect, and it's here in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his isolation, that he receives one of the most powerful visions ever recorded. Not just a vision for John, but a vision for all of us. You see, friends, just as Jesus meets John in exile, he can meet you in exile as well. So don't forsake being in the Spirit. Meditate on God's Word. Pray to the Lord in the power of the Spirit. Immerse yourself in the stories of Jesus. And don't forsake the Lord's Day. Come and and be with his people on the Lord's Day. It's in these places that Jesus meets us. He walks among us. He speaks to us. Jesus meets us in exile. So in verse 12, John says, I turned to see the voice. How do you see a voice? What a curious phrase, right? Well, John says that he sees these seven lampstands before him. And we're told later uh, that these seven lampstands represent the churches, the seven churches. And there walking among the churches is the Lord Jesus. He is as bright as the sun. His eyes are like fire. Even his feet are glowing like bronze. When he speaks, it's like the sound of rushing water. He holds stars in his hand, and from his mouth comes a sword. Now, don't forget, we've actually already seen Jesus like this in the scriptures. Uh, John himself, actually, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, on on a hill outside of Palestine, saw Jesus just as he's seeing him here on a hill in Patmos. But also, there's, we hear stories from Moses and Ezekiel and some of the other prophets who describe these glorious appearances of God. Uh, The prophet Daniel, especially, he has these multiple images that he talks about that are helpful, I think, that shine some light, uh, no pun intended, I guess, uh, on our Revelation reading. But Daniel describes uh, a figure called the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is God, and and he takes his seat upon the throne right when the suffering of God's people reaches its climax. But then John also describes this this human figure, this this son of man, who is supposed to represent uh, not just the people of God, but in a certain measure, the, the son of man is supposed to represent all of humanity. And so the interesting thing is that here in Revelation, it's like both the, the ancient of days image and the son of man image come together. If we were to look through Daniel, we would see common language being applied from both of those images here to Jesus Christ himself. So it's as if to say, when you look at Jesus, you actually can behold and see the glory of God himself. And why should we be surprised at that? Jesus tells us quite clearly himself, when you see me, you see the Father. And this is precisely what John is beholding right now. Try to hold this picture in your, hand, in your head. You know, imagine standing under a, a huge waterfall. Maybe you've, you've gone behind, you know, you've, you've hiked behind kind of the crevice of it, and you just see this water, like just a, a big massive sheet just pouring down in front of you. And that roaring noise, that sustained rolling thunder, and imagine as that, sh- that sound sort of gains shape to it. It takes a tone to it. That rumbling, that echoing, sort of turns into a human voice. So for, our, for some of us, we might think of Jesus as kind of this far away, sort of distant, uh, historical character. 
He says some nice things here and there that sort of helps us and reminds us to hold the door open for people, you know, and, and be nice and, and bring meals to people here and there, you know. And for others, we, we might perceive Jesus as kind of this cartoonish sort of best friend figure, you know. I, I, I call that Jesus like thumbs up Jesus, you know, and, and we just want to like snuggle up next to him, like give him a high five or something. Does that jive with this image? <laughs> Now, I, I don't think uh, John would necessarily say, he wouldn't say that we can't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Of, of course we can. Uh, Jesus hears our voice. We hear his voice. We can have a relationship with him. But when John sees Jesus, he falls down as though dead before his feet. This Jesus, whose voice is like thunder, just absolutely rattles and shakes him. But what is the first thing that, that Jesus says to John? He says, fear not. This mighty Jesus, this scary, sort of like overwhelming, larger than life Jesus, speaks words of comfort to him. He says, fear not, John. Reminds me of Lucy from Narnia, right? Remember when she inquires about Aslan the lion? He's not a tame lion, she's told, but he is good. Jesus says, fear not. Fear not, I am the good shepherd. So not only does Jesus come and dwell with us in our exile, he speaks to us, both by his power, his presence, but he also speaks to us with his kindness. And Jesus says there in verse 17, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, each one of these phrases is, is pulled from the Old Testament, and we could spend all day just examining the beauty and the riches and the depth of each one of those phrases. It, it is essential to see here that Jesus is revealing himself to John in light of his rec- resurrection. All of these phrases are showing us, I have died, and now I live forever. But there's one phrase especially that I want to focus in on. In verse 18, Jesus says, I have the keys of death in Hades. You see, where John is is effectively a prison. He's miles away from his community of friends. He's away from all of life's comforts, and he is certain that he is going to die here. And like someone who's, who's kneeling down and whispering to him, he's saying, I know the secret way of the way out of this dungeon. Jesus is saying, John, I have the keys out. Now, I wonder where did John's mind go when he heard that phrase? Don't forget, this is the same John of the Gospels that we we read stories of just last week. I wonder if John thought about Jesus hanging up upon the cross. Maybe he, he was remembering those moments when Jesus took his last and final breaths. Maybe, uh, who knows what John was thinking in that moment. Maybe he even looked around and surveyed the soldiers and said, how, how could I distract them? You know, how could I get the soldiers to maybe go over there for a little while so that I could rescue my friend from the cross? And then maybe John remembers actually seeing Jesus give up his spirit and pass. You see, John witnessed all of this. And now that same Jesus is standing before him saying, I have tasted death, and I know the way out. I know the way out. So Tim Keller is one of America's uh, most well-known pastors. Uh, Some of you have actually attended his church in Redeemer, have been deeply formed uh, by his, his teaching. Well, at the age 71, 
Pastor Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And the doctors told him in no uncertain terms, this will claim you. You will die from this. And as he recounts this moment, it, he talks about how it felt like he was behind uh, in a closed room in a door uh, behind locked doors. He says that this diagnosis felt like a, a type of death of sorts. So he fell immediately under a shadow of, of despair and darkness and doubts. And he asked himself that if he really believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he was, he was really wrestling, like, do I really believe in a life after, a life that never ends? That deep doubt caused him to, to go back to some, some writings that he had uh, read before. Uh, he read uh, N.T. Wright's The Resurrection of the Son of God, which is a massive book. Uh, it's, it's Wright's uh, magnum opus. And by the time that he got to the end of it, uh, Keller says that he was absolutely convinced more than ever that Jesus, in fact, had risen from the dead and that he had appeared to his disciples. And Keller says, because of this, I feel like I can face anything. I can face anything. You know, at some point in your life, brothers and sisters, you are going to feel like you are behind locked doors. Maybe a doctor will give you some rattling news. Maybe it will be the passing of a friend, the loss of someone, or any other number of snares or traps of our troublesome world. But here's the deal. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to set everything right. That means that evil and death will go away. That means that exile and cancer will go away. The victory of Christ means that we can live beyond locked doors. He has the keys, he says to us. He has the keys. Jesus has won the victory through his suffering, which empowers us, brothers and sisters, to walk in his victory as well. Jesus enters our exile, speaks to us in those moments, and he promises us victory. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a broken and troublesome world. It is easy for us, Lord, to, to feel like we are in a spiritual exile at times, either because of the, the circumstances that have been placed upon us, the guilt which imprisons us, the doubts that consume us. But Lord, I pray that you would meet all of us in the midst of that. In the midst of our fear, in the midst of our, our doubts, Lord Jesus, may you appear to us. May you appear to us through your holy scriptures, Jesus, through the prayers of loved ones, through the fellowship of our friends. Lord Jesus, come and move in our midst. Lord, we love you, and it is in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.